Hello, and welcome to the Church on the Hill podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, we invite you to join us live this Sunday at 500 Sands Drive in San Jose, California. Visit churchonthehill.com for service times and directions, and also to learn more about connecting, growing, and serving at Church on the Hill. Now let's join lead pastor Scott Simarok as he teaches at Church on the Hill. We've been in this book of Mark for, uh, uh, this is actually week 21. I can't tell you the last time I did like a 21-week series looking at the story of Jesus. We've just been asking this question, who is Jesus and what's this good news that he's offering? And then what does he expect of his followers? And so we're, we're nearing the end of it. We're going to wrap it up on Easter talking about the resurrection. Two of you have read the story. That's fantastic. So today we're in Mark 13. Why don't you open up there? Go to Mark 13 and... Um, We'll start with this. Have you ever seen these ridiculous warning labels? Remember when the iPod shuffle came out? It came with a warning that says, do not eat. An actual iron, they come with this warning that says, don't wear the shirt you are ironing. The scooter comes with a warning that says, this thing moves when it's in operation. Thermometer, I'm just going to let you read that on your own. This, this next label uh, that causes cancer in lab mice, it's actually found on a box of rat poison. <laughs> this next one, uh, Beth and Bo, I don't know if you guys are here in the balcony or at home watching, they just had a kid, just make sure you take the kid out of the stroller before you fold it. This one is actually my favorite. You touch these wires, immediate death, and we'll fine you $200. <laughs> <laughs> We have grown so accustomed to ridiculous warnings that what do we do now? We ignore labels, don't we? We just ignore warnings that are right in front of us. Um, In 2011, the United States uh, had an unusual season of tornadoes. So many so that there were were all these alarms warning that um, the, the problem was this. People ignored the warnings. Over 300 people died during that season. And so they did this study. Why is it that people ignored the warning sirens for these tornadoes? And they found three things. Number one, there were trust issues. Because 70% of tornado warnings were false alarms. It was like Chicken Little running around saying, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. And it didn't sometimes, but other times it did. The second is this. They found a false sense of security. This is fascinating. The longer people lived in their homes the more they felt like surely a tornado would never harm us. They happen and they harm other people, but it will never happen to us. The third is this. People just had these weird safety myths. They thought, oh, you know, tornadoes, they don't actually leap over rivers, right? And right now the tornado's on the other side and it can't leap over the river. Or tornadoes don't move uphill. None of those are true. They just came up with these weird safety myths where they thought they were safe. And because people didn't heed the warnings, people either harmed, injured, or lost their lives. Why do I tell you all that? What if Jesus actually gave us warnings? What if Jesus gave us warnings and we're ignoring them? What if the disciples that heard Jesus talk wrote down his warnings in the Gospels and we've just ignored them? I'll tell you this, I'm not going to harp on any of us for ignoring Jesus' warnings, because the truth is this, they're hard to understand. 
Mark 13, what we're about to read, is actually the most difficult chapter, I think, in all of the Gospels. And maybe ranks up there with the top most difficult passages in all of the New Testament to understand. And I got to explain this to you. Like, why is it so tough to understand what is Jesus warning people about? So turn there. Mark 13, verse 1 says this. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher. What massive stones, what magnificent buildings. He's, he's pointing to the temple. Jesus replied this way. He says, do you see all these great buildings? Replied Jesus, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. And then Jesus moves to the, the Mount of Olives. And as he's sitting there, it says Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple. Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they're about to be fulfilled? So what is Jesus warning about? He's like, the temple's going to be destroyed. I know you're impressed by it. I know you think it's immovable. But one day, it's going to be destroyed. And so they turn around and they ask him, okay, when? You just got, I mean, if you're going to give us a legitimate warning, when is all this going to happen? And Jesus doesn't tell them when. This is how he replies. Verse 5, Jesus said to them, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I'm he and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen. But the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There's going to be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. He's saying the world is going to be broken beyond belief. But then he goes, you must be on your guard. You're going to be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues on account of me. You will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. Just get this. This is the easy part to understand. Jesus never tells them when it's going to happen. He just says, be prepared because it's going to get tough and you're going to have to deal with some things. Remember, this is a warning about persecution and when the temple would be destroyed. So question, did Jesus' prediction ever come true? Forty years later. If I can run this through with you, I might lose some of you because the minute you walk into a history class, you're like, blah, 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 whatever. Let me give you just a brief, brief history on this and just follow me. In 66 AD, okay, this is 36 years after Jesus dies on a cross and is resurrected, there's this Jewish revolt in Jerusalem. And they rise up and they drive the Romans out of the city. But I mean, you know, the Roman Empire is huge. They respond with this massive response and they they come in and they start putting down this revolt. I'm, I'm taking years of war and condensing it into about 30 seconds, okay? So hang with me. The Romans surround Jerusalem, lay siege to the city. They cut off food supplies. And over a period of seven months, no food comes in. The people in the city are just the walking dead at that point. There's so many dead people that they don't know what to do with them, so they just throw them over the wall to the outside of the city because they can't deal with the rotting corpses. It was an unimaginably, um, unimaginable, horrific scene. And finally, so weakened, the Romans defeat them, overthrow them, and Titus, their general who is leading them, has the temple burned and totally destroyed in 70 AD, 40 years after Jesus predicted it. So in Mark 13, Jesus is warning them, there's going to come a day where not one stone is left on another. So question, we're reading this thousands of years later, so um, what do we do with it? 
The, the warning's not for us then. It was, he was just warning them, listen, in 40 years from now, something bad is going to happen. I want you to be aware of it and so prepare for it. Well, that's over, so what do we do with it? This is what is so difficult about Mark 13, that Jesus seems to shift gears partway through, not warning about something that would happen 40 years in the future, but something that still has not yet happened today. Are you with me? Look at verse 24. He says, but in those days following that distress, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Don't miss this. Before, he talked about all these things on earth that would go wrong. Famine, earthquakes, war, and now he's talking about something that seems cosmic. It's not just down here. It's, it's the sun, the star, the, the moon. Like At that time, verse 26, people will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. Pause. This sounds like the second return of Jesus. I mean, he came to earth first as a baby. This sounds like when he's going to come back. It goes on, it says, And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heaven. This is about the return of Jesus. It's a warning that says he's coming back one day. And here's what's so problematic in Mark 13. He doesn't exactly make it clear like when he's warning about the temple destruction and when he's warning about the fact that he's coming back. And so you read it all and you're like, I'm not really sure what he's saying. It's like driving in the fog, right? Have you driven in heavy fog? You know the secret to this, right? I hope you do. You don't focus on the fog. You don't focus on what you can't see. You focus on what? The yellow line, right? Just to your left. And if that yellow line is on your right, you're in trouble. You focus on the thing that you can see. And you focus on that yellow line. Stay just to the right and hope that you don't run into the person in front of you. Let me suggest this. If Mark 13 is like this heavy fog, instead of paying attention to what you don't understand, let's pay attention to the things that are clear and right in front of us. This is what I mean by that. In Mark 13, there's actually 15 imperatives. What are those? Commands, direct action statements. Do this and don't do that. There's 15 of them. And actually seven of those, almost half of them, are the same thing. Watch out. Be alert. Stay awake. So today, I want to talk about Jesus' warning to us. It's about stay awake. Be alert. Don't be sleepy. I planned this message and I didn't even realize it was Daylight Saving Sunday. So here's what we're talking about today. What does it look like to be a sleepy Christian in a sleepy church on Daylight Savings? And what does it look like to be a church that is alive and awake and alert? Because I think they're actually in the text. And I I will tell you, there's some stuff in here that confuses me. But man, when you look at the imperatives, it's really clear that there is something that Jesus wants for us and from us. So let's take a look at this. Sleepy Christians. Number one is this. I think sleepy Christians are confused about who Jesus is and what he expects of his followers. This is where I get this from. Take take a look at verse 5. Jesus seems to be warning his disciples specifically about this. False religious leaders who claim to know details about what God is doing. And Jesus warns them to be careful about who they follow. Don't be too quick to jump on someone else's bandwagon. Here's what he says. Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. The imperative is this. Watch out. Don't jump 
on somebody else's bandwagon. Listen, I, I think the last couple years, more than any other years, we have people around us that are both religious leaders, political leaders, influencers, who are claiming that Jesus is on their side. Be careful. I will make this super, super clear. Jesus is not represented by a donkey. He's not represented by an elephant. Jesus is represented by the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Thank you. I was hoping somebody say amen. Because we got it all confused. Some Christians, I'm going to say this in a weird way, have become radicalized that the political system is actually Jesus is super clearly on one side or the other. You know whose side Jesus is on? His own side. And I, I'm telling you, there's some things about each side of the political system that are broken and busted and not of Jesus. I mean, don't carry his values. I know you're thinking, wow, pastor, you are stepping in it today. <laughs> the problem is this. Like, we've, instead of following Jesus, we've shown nationalism. We're just going to promote our country. And if our church doesn't stand up for our country in the way that I think, then they're not of Jesus. You know, we've taken this approach We read the Gospels, and we take a look at what Jesus says, and we say our loyalty is to him. Don't get me wrong. I love this country. So does Jesus. Jesus loves lots of countries. Jesus loves all kinds of broken countries. Jesus welcomes all kinds of people to follow him that have messed up beliefs. And I think he's warning us, be very careful that you're not following some kind of false leader who claims to be representing me when they really don't. Here's what sleepy Christians also do, number two. They panic in chaos. Verse seven, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. That's the imperative. If you've got a paper Bible, underline that. If you've got a way to underline that digital Bible, there's the imperative. Don't panic. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginnings of birth pains. His command, the imperative, don't freak out. War is horrible. Death that comes along with war, we should not take that lightly. It should grieve us. But we are not people who panic. Because Jesus said, it's going to get ugly. But let's not pretend like I'm out of control or I didn't predict this coming. The war isn't the end of the world. Get this. The war is not the end of the world. Jesus has a different end to this world. And he's already told it when it happens. It's when I come back and I will gather you. Sleepy Christians, number three. They become anxiously silent when challenged. Now, this is actually a specific moment where Jesus looks at his disciples and he said, listen, it's going to get bad. Um, Let me just read this to you. In in verse 10, it says, And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. There's the call to every Christian. This good news that I'm bringing, that God, Jesus, brings forgiveness, that he's the ransom, he pays for our sins on the cross, that gospel, that good news is the thing that we should be talking about. And then he says, whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry. There's the command. Don't worry. Don't freak out. But then he says this, do not worry beforehand about what you will say. 
And then here's the next imperative. It doesn't sound like an imperative in, in the English, but it is. The command is this. Just say, just speak whatever is given you at the time, for it's not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. So here it is. Jesus says, it's going to get tough. He's specifically talking to his disciples. They're going to bring you in front of the synagogues, in front of the rulers, governors. You're going to get beat. But here's what I want you to do. Don't freak out. Don't worry. But I want you to be my mouthpiece. And I don't want you to worry about what you're going to say. But I want you to open your mouth and share. Share this good news. Share about, about who I am. You know the number one reason why people don't talk more about Jesus and their faith with people who don't yet know Jesus? They're like, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to tell my story. I don't know how to talk about you know, how I became a Christian. I'm just not sure about all the facts, and I just don't know enough to be able to do it well. And so we worry about what we're going to say, and then we just remain anxiously silent. I think it goes directly against what Jesus is saying. Don't worry. Don't panic. Don't freak out. Be prepared to tell your story. It's your story. You lived it. Just figure out how to tell it. Have, have the reasons why you're a Christian. You know what the number one reason is why I'm a believer? It's because of the resurrection. The historical event that he predicted he would die and then be raised back to life. And then he showed up to hundreds of people. I, I can't argue with that historical fact. If he did that, I trust everything else he said. So why do you believe? People who are sleepy Christians, they just get silent. The, the fourth sign of a sleepy Christian is they procrastinate helping people find Jesus. Jesus states this in verse 10, and the gospel must first be preached to all nations, right? But then when you drop down to verse 34, it says, he tells this story. He just says, it's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task. And he tells one at the door to keep watch. Then he says this. This is how he wraps it up. Therefore, keep watch. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. I mean... The repetition of this is unbelievable. Stay awake. Stay awake. Don't be, don't be sleepy. The task assigned to every Christian is this. Help people find Jesus. And help them grow to maturity, to become a mature follower of him. I've been lingering over this for, um, for a long time. And for months I've been kind of lingering over this statement. Like, what are we about as a church? And this is what I keep lingering over is we're about displaying the irresistibility of Jesus so that lives are transformed. Think about that for a minute. Isn't that great? I want to display the irresistible love of Jesus to people in such a way that they're like, what is that about you? I'm like, well, it's Jesus. But not just the love of Jesus. I want to display the irresistible truth of who he is. That he loved you so much that he gave up his life on a cross for you. Well, how do you know that's true? Well, because he predicted that he would not only die but be resurrected. I mean, the the truth is irresistible about how great he is. And I want to do it so that people not only come to Jesus, but their lives are transformed. Here's how he wraps up his warning. He says this, um, In procrastinating, he just says, stay to your task, keep watch, don't fall asleep. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to shift gears for just a moment. Because if those are sleepy Christians, let's talk about you guys, right? Alert Christians. (laughs) The awake ones. The ones who made it to church on Sunday morning on daylight savings. All you at home, I love you. 
okay? All of you that are watching this later in the week, I love you too. Alert Christians, number one. They're confident. They're confident in Jesus' identity and invitation to life. Where do I get this from? Look at verse 21. At this time, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Messiah, look, there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even to deceive the elect. So be on your guard. That's the imperative. Be on your guard against false teachers. There are people who will claim to speak for Jesus, and yet they don't. And they're going to lead people astray. Doesn't that bother you? It, it, it should. And it's one of the reasons why when we started this series, we're like, don't take my word for it. Read it. Get in a community group and talk about what it is that we are teaching and what you're reading on your own so that it might stick with you. Read it on the YouVersion app and dialogue with other people about this. We don't want you to just trust me. I want you guys to dig in for yourselves so that you'll be able to distinguish truth from lies. We live in a complicated world, but we have to know the identity of those three questions of who is Jesus, what is the good news, and what does he expect of his followers? So don't stop growing. Actually, in these final weeks, like we're wrapping up this series with the most important part, the death and the resurrection of Christ. So if you've kind of fallen off and sticking with us and talking and going to community group, and can I just say this? Um, dig in with people in these final weeks because these are the most important chapters in all of the, the book of Mark. Now, uh, an important side note. Let me, let me just ask you this. Can you actually trust Jesus' warning that he's really coming back? Can you trust it? I know some of you are like, listen, the Bible says it. I believe it. Case settled, right? But what about people who... They, they don't know Jesus. And like, well, are you just a fool? Just because you read something in a book, you actually believe it? Listen, in 30 AD, Jesus spoke these words. He actually, let me say it this way. He spoke three predictions. Are you ready? Here they are. The first is this, his resurrection. I'm going to die on a cross, and I'm going to come back from the dead. And he pulled that off. Historical fact showed himself after the resurrection to hundreds of people. It says at one time, 500 people saw him. He also predicted this. He predicted that the temple would be destroyed in the future. And 40 years later, it was destroyed. When Mark wrote down the words of Jesus, people estimate, the, the scholarly approach to this is that in the late 50s, up to like mid, maybe late 60s, that's when Mark wrote his gospel. He wrote, about the prediction of the temple being destroyed before it was destroyed. It's not like he made the, he, like the temple was destroyed. And he's like, you know what we should do? We should write a fake story about Jesus predicting that this would happen. That would be awesome. Jesus predicted that this would happen and it happened. And then there's one final prediction that he makes. He says, I'm going to go and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I will come back and take you to be with me in heaven to the place I created. Well, if the first prediction came true and the second prediction came true, that's why I trust the third prediction. You with me? See, I don't want us to have a, a Christian understanding that's just ignorant and we just believe everything that we hear. 
Let's take a look at the facts and base it off of, off of our understanding of the scriptures. Um, second thing, alert Christians. They accept chaos because their hope is in Jesus, not the establishment of the world. Listen, we're swimming in the deep end today. I know we're covering a lot of theology, but hang with me on this. The disciples, what, what started this whole thing? They looked at the temple and they're like, look, that's a fantastic building. Look how, look how beautiful it is. Look how big these stones are. I mean, these stones are like yards long, yards tall, yards thick. People aren't even sure how they actually move those stones. And Jesus is like, um, you see all those big things that you think are magnificent? One day, they will not exist. Someone is going to wreck it. Now, I think it's interesting what brings comfort and security to some Christians. In the tornado warning that people ignored, the belief was that, listen, the longer I live here, the less I believe that anything can destroy my house or my life. And I think the disciples are looking at the temple and they're like, wow. This is just the reminder that God dwells among us. This magnificent building gives me comfort and gives me security that God is with me. Christians today, I think the church that I go to just is the reminder, whether you like the building or hate the building. Our building looks like Space Mountain, I'm sorry. Whether you love that or hate that. Some people look at the church building and just go, it just gives me comfort and peace just seeing that. I drive on, you know, 87, I just drive by, I'm like, there's my church. And it brings me comfort. Some of you, it's your routine. The fact that you open the Bible in the morning and you're like, I just open it and it's my routine that gives me this comfort. Maybe it's your routine of going to your community group. Maybe it's your routine of coming to church on Sunday morning. It just makes you feel good. And Jesus is like, listen, this building shouldn't bring you comfort. Your routine shouldn't bring you comfort. The only thing that will last in life are people, me, and my word. What brings you comfort? I think in this, we accept the chaos because our hope is not in a church building. Our hope is not in the fact that our lives will never get disrupted. I mean, think about this. Two years ago, if I would have said, listen, church is going to shut their doors. We're only going to be open online. You can't gather. You'd be like, shut up. That'll never happen. We've entered a series in this world where all the things that we thought were like could never happen have happened, right? But what brings you comfort? I think for mature Christians, alert Christians, our hope and our trust is in a relationship with Jesus. The third thing, alert Christians, they prioritize those people who are beyond the church walls. I alluded to this earlier a minute ago. It says, and the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Then in verse 11 it says, just say whatever's given you at the time, for it is not you speaking but the Holy Spirit. We all have priorities in life. Some of them are spoken. If I said, hey, what are your top three values? What are your top three priorities? You're like, oh, it's this. It's family. It's work. It's blah. And you have your top three. But then there's underlying unspoken priorities. And those priorities are determined by how we spend our time, talents, and treasures. What does someone value? Just look at where they spend their time. If we say, hey, family is important to us, just ask the question. Just take a look at their time, where they spend. If they say, hey, you know what? My uh, generosity is important to me. 
Helping the poor is important to me. Just take a look at their, their bank account. I mean, where do they spend their, their treasures? And you'll figure out if that's a priority to them. In this, do we as Christians prioritize the people who are outside these walls? Does this church exist for people all over the Silicon Valley who don't yet know Jesus? It begs the question, how do we spend our time, our talent, and our treasures? Listen, churches are notorious for this. Becoming ingrown, inward-focused groups that we just care about each other. And those churches die because they're not about the mission that Jesus has called the world to. What's that mission? It's displaying the irresistibility of Jesus so that lives are transformed. If you want it in the scriptural terms, it's about making disciples and teaching them to obey. Fourth thing, the final thing, we'll wrap this up. Alert Christians prepare for Jesus' return by living as if he's already present. Here's how he wraps up all this story. He says, be on your guard, be alert, pray. Your text might not say pray, but it's actually in some of the original uh, manuscripts. It says, be alert, be on guard, pray. You do not know when the time will come. And then he tells this story, therefore keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. And then he's silent. Um, I will tell you this about me. I am such a good Christian that I rarely sin. If you can't hear this online, people are laughing at me right now. It's kind of hurting my feelings. But you didn't let me finish the sentence. I'm such a good Christian that I rarely sin when people are watching. Come on, we're, we're the same, aren't we? I used to love um, catching my kids doing stuff that was wrong. And I know this sounds weird, but when I was a dad, my kids were like this big, right? We put them to bed. And we're like, stay in bed. Did they? No, because they take after their dad. So we would gate them in their room, right? Baby gate. Boom. That'll keep them in. Both my kids, climbers. So we put another baby gate on top of the baby gate, right? And now we're like, wait, if they fall, they're falling five and a half feet to the ground. This is a bad idea. So go to bed, put up the baby gate or two sometimes and whatever else barbed wire, you know. And then I go around the corner and I just wait. And I listen for the rattle of the gate. And then I leap out and they're like, (laughs) climb back down, jump in bed. Why? Because they're just like me. When someone's watching and they know that you're there, they rarely do stuff that's wrong. Super fun to catch them doing stuff that's wrong. What if we lived like Jesus was with us all the time? Alert Christians, that's how they live. No, here's the funny thing. I know some of you who have read the Bible, you're like, well, Jesus is with us. The Holy Spirit of God lives inside us. He sees everything. I know, but we don't actually live like that, do we? Because we have moments where we're like, nobody's watching. No one will know. I'm just going to. In sleepy Christians, we just, we do what we want. But alert Christians, they live like Jesus is right there with them. Be ready for his return by living as if he's already present because he is. Um, 
Let me wrap this up. Just a quick story for you. Austin was going off to college. My wife, Kelly, and I were driving him to school. So we got up six that morning, hopped in the car. Austin says, I'll drive. Okay. I'm in the passenger seat. Kelly is in the back, buried under luggage. (laughs) And we start driving. About two hours into the ride, we're going south on I-5. Eight o'clock in the morning, sun is just coming up, and uh, I'm tired. And I look at him, I'm like, you good? He goes, yeah, I'm good. You sure? Like, you're awake enough, you're not going to fall asleep. And he answered the question with a stare, like, I got this, Pops, let's go. And I said, I'm going to take a nap, all right? Stay awake. Kind of sounds familiar. Kind of sounds like words that we've read this morning. Stay awake. Be on your guard. And I doze off. I don't know if it was like five minutes or ten minutes. But I just hear this. We all know what that sound is, right? You're moving out of your lane. My eyes open and I look. And we are crossing the middle divide of the... Headed toward the center area of dirt on I-5. And I lose my freaking mind. I don't even know what I said, and it's probably not good to repeat in the message. I mean, I do, I'm freaked out, and I look over. His eyes are closed. He goes, I'm not sleeping. I just couldn't open my eyes. I was like, I got to write that one down. Because um, that was just one of those moments, right? After I totally freaked out, I didn't sleep for about four days. It's, it's one of those moments, it reminded me of this. Nobody plans on falling asleep, but we do. No one plans on falling asleep at the wheel in a car. No one plans on falling asleep at the wheel of their life. When they claim to be a follower of Jesus, and yet we start prioritizing the wrong things. We're not paying attention to the things that God wants us to. We start just getting lazy, and we start getting sinful. We start living like he's not watching, and we start not prioritizing sharing who Jesus is to the world. We we don't care about displaying how irresistible Jesus is. And we get to this place, and we just start falling asleep, and it just becomes about us. I love you guys. Which is why I'm about to say this. Maybe you're at a place this morning where you need to look at Jesus and say, I'm sorry, that's been me. I need to just repent and ask for forgiveness because I've fallen asleep at the wheel of my life and I have not prioritized the warnings that you've given me about being a person who cares and loves people, who shares the gospel, who doesn't just fall victim to, to meaningless teachers who aren't Jesus. And I love you, which is why I'm going to say this. Some of you, you've never said yes to Jesus, and you've been coming to this church to try and check this out and figure it out. He loved you so much that he died on a cross for you so that you could be forgiven and be in relationship with him. And I'm just wondering, is today the day that you need to cross the line of faith and say, Jesus, I'm yours, I'll follow. I'm awake, because I know that what's happening in this room right now is some of you God's waking you up. And if he is, the choice is yours to respond. And maybe today some of you 
need to cross that line of faith. Others of you, you need to return and rededicate your life to Christ today. So let's do that. Let's bow our heads. I want to pray right now. Nobody looking around, just you and God. And maybe you need to say, Jesus, forgive me, I've been sleeping. If you know you need to make a decision for Jesus today, then let's pray this together. It might sound like this. Jesus, forgive me. Today, I give you my sin. I give you my sin, and I want to trade it in. I want to exchange it for forgiveness and a new relationship with you, God. God, thank you for loving me. From this day on, Jesus, I follow you. Help me to live out this new relationship, God, with you in a real in a tangible way. God, would you help me and thank you for the gift of forgiveness. And if you prayed that, would you say amen? Bow your heads for just a moment and keep them closed. I just want to ask you this. Um, if you did pray that without people looking around, I'm looking because I want to cheer you on and I want to pray for you. Would you just pause and stick your hand up in the air right now that you prayed Thank you. Yes, I got you. Three, four, five, six. Yes. Balcony, I'm coming to you. Yeah, I see you. Good. Fantastic. I want to pray for you that this decision and commitment that you've made sticks. So Jesus, we know this, that when we cross that line of faith, there's nothing that can steal us away from you. But God, we know this, that there are moments where we get sleepy. So God, just as you've woken us up today, God, keep us awake. God, help us follow you well. As a church, God, help us to come alongside these folks and be an encouragement to them. And I pray that today is the landmark moment with the flag in the ground that says, from this day forward, God, I belong to you. I pray for those that have made that decision for the first time that, that they would get baptized in front of people so that they would never forget that they claimed this in front of a community of people, God. Thank you for the transformation that you have done today and that you will do tomorrow in us. And we all pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Stand with me. And as you're standing, I want to remind you of this, that every decision for Christ is always personal. It's a personal decision, but it's never a private decision. It's not between you and God. It's between you and God and, and a community of people so that that decision will stick and last with you. So can I ask you this? If you made a decision or a recommitment to Christ, would you do this? Tell somebody today. I'll be around. Come tell me. I'm not going to badger you. I just want to cheer you on and encourage you. Are you with me in that? All right. Hey, let's sing and worship.